0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome to the Hockey News pregame Show. Ryan, let's get right into this. Let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some bad news for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Joseph Wall, who arguably has been their MVP this season out week to week with a high ankle sprain. What does this mean for the Leafs? Can they survive with Ilya Samsonov and what looks like it's gonna be Martin Jones as the backup?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really kind of crunch time early on for the Leafs. And I would say don't do anything rash in that because you know you Wool's know gonna come back at some point. I almost wonder if this is an opportunity for this team to really buckle down. You know, we've talked about their defensive deficiencies pretty much all season, and that's why they haven't been as high in the standings as, as most people would have predicted heading into the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a situation where you're like, okay, well, we don't have our safety blanket back there. You know, Samsonov has uh, struggled. Obviously, Martin Jones, um, you know, not an NHL starter at this point in his career. Maybe he never was. Um, but, you know, the Leafs have Nashville tonight. Then they got the Islanders and the Rangers. Two of those games are certainly winnable. The Rangers obviously have been the best team in the NHL for most of the season, if not the whole season. So, you know, if you drop that one, okay, fair play. But I would like to see the Leafs take some sort of lessons from this, mm-hmm. that they have to be better in front of their goaltenders and not rely on their goaltenders as much as they have been with Joseph Wolf. Well, maybe they can take
1: some lessons from those two teams that you just mentioned. Nashville and the Islanders are known as defensive first teams. True. Um, Teams that really kind of insulate their goaltenders. And I find it kind of funny, like we're talking about Joseph Wall going out and we're kind of getting a little, or fans are getting a little worried about the tandem that is Samsonov and Jones. Correct me if I'm wrong, but (laughs) Samsonov was supposed to be the number one goaltender. He was was supposed to be be the other way around. You lose Samsonov, and oh boy, we're going to have to throw a 25 year old in that Mm. along with Martin Jones.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's how this season has been in in so many different respects, not only in Toronto, but across the league, where goaltending for the most part has really been upended. And we've seen some fantastic performances you know, whether it's Charlie Lindgren, uh, you know, I mean, Aiden Hill won a Stanley Cup last year, so, you know, he was more of a known quantity, but we've seen some really good runs from goaltenders that maybe we wouldn't have expected them from. Not your prototypicals, eh? It's not the usual, you know, Shusterkin, Sorokin, you know, Hellbuck necessarily, nothing wrong with those guys, but we're seeing other guys really step up in situations and, I mean, great for those teams, but I have to imagine if you're a GM or a pro scout, you got to be like throwing up your hands at this point and saying, like, I-, I don't know what a good goaltender is anymore.
1: Now, put your doctor's hat on for a second here. High ankle sprain for a goalie. Mm. Uh, this is the same injury that I remember marc Andre Fleury uh, struggled with uh, a number of years back. It's not a great injury. Obviously, a groin injury, knee injury, high mm. ankle sprain. Those are the typical ones that you're going to get. Hips probably too with goaltenders. Mm. If Wall is out, and they're saying week to week, I don't know how many weeks we're talking here. Um, If week to week means under four weeks or under eight weeks or whatever, you don't think they have to get some help. And I ask this because you know the Leafs are still hurting on the back end. They're Mm. looking at potentially adding a defenseman. If you're talking about a trade with Calgary where you're getting a Chris Tanev back, why not say, hey,
2: along with Tanev, we'll also take Dan Vladar. If you do that, I think another goaltender, like a Martin Jones, has to go the other way. Goodbye, Martin Jones. Yeah, yeah, there there has to be some ballast there. I don't know how much of an upgrade Dan Vladar would be, Uh, so that's the problem, and that's the problem with the goalie market right now, is it's really hard to figure out who is for real this year, you know? Some veterans have faltered, uh, some kids have stepped up and then faltered, like, it's all over the place, so I mean, for me, I tend to be a cautious cat when it comes <laughs> to these things. I would just try to forge along.
1: Well, the Leafs have been forging along uh, going into tonight's game against the National Predators. They're holding down, I think, the first wild card spot in what is a tightly compacted Eastern Conference standings. Mm-hmm. A team that isn't in that mix right now are the Ottawa Senators. Big news coming out of Ottawa this week. They did not fire their coach. Instead, they hired an additional coach or a coaching advisor, and Jacques Martin Uh, comes back to Ottawa. Obviously, Senator fans are well, um, they they know Jacques Martin. They know what he can bring. He is a defensive um, mastermind. (laughs) That's a perfect word for it. Um, This is an unusual situation, though.
2: It is unusual. And, you know, if I'm kind of like reading the tea leaves here, it's like, we know the Senators, like the players, they seem to like DJ Smith. Mm-hmm. They play well for, you know, they play for him. Say what you want about Ottawa. They did not quit on DJ Smith no, this year. they haven't quit. The problem is more that they haven't had, I guess, the tools to be successful. And I think what Steve Steos is saying here as interim GM is, okay, we need more structure. Jacques Martin can provide that. So... There shouldn't be any more excuses, right? And I will say, the Senators have only played 21 games. There are teams in their division that have played 28 games, right? Buffalo's yeah. played 27. So, I mean, hypothetically, even though Ottawa is technically last in the conference, by points percentage, they're a little better than that. They're more like eighth, uh, which is not great, but it's not last. So it feels like, you know, they don't want to fire DJ Smith But they need success, so if Jacques Martin can come in, work a little bit of his magic, take some pressure off DJ Smith, you know that the the dressing room's on board with the coaching staff, maybe you can start to pick up some points, and maybe this season isn't a complete write-off.
1: So if you're DJ Smith, do you like this move?
2: It's better than being fired. I I, I think that's where we're at right now. It's like either – I think, you know – I can imagine it being presented to him as, we can fire you, or we can get you help, and hopefully your strengths and Jacques Martin's strengths can come together and make this a better hockey game.
1: Yeah, that that is the hope. And like I said, it's a difficult one. When we're talking about head coaches, we're talking about egos. Sure. You you don't get into that position without thinking that you are the man, Mm -hmm. um, this is your team. Now it's not really DJ Smith's team. Mm-hmm. Um, he's having to sort of answer to a Jacques Martin, a more senior person, uh, a person who very much could, you know, if Ottawa goes on in a, a little bit of a slump right now in the next couple games, could very well be the next head coach. Forget about the um, advisor. So mm-hmm. I almost see this as, you know, this is step one and I don't know what step two uh, involves. I don't think it involves the playoff berth for the Ottawa Senators. Probably not. Um, I'm more along the lines of you, uh, what you're saying is, you know, I think Ottawa just wants to save face. They want to be competitive. Mm-hmm. They want to finish this season at least under the impression that they were in the hunt for a playoff spot.
2: Yeah, I could also see a scenario where if things do continue to go south, where maybe Jacques Martin doesn't want to be the long-term head coach. I mean, you know, he is, a, he is a veteran and he's done a lot in his career already, but maybe he could be the interim head coach until the end of the year. And then in the summer, you completely reevaluate things and you get your long-term coach. Uh, for the future of the Senators, because the future does look bright, at least on paper.
1: Totally. It's not going to look bright, though, for the next month, because now you're without Thomas Chabot, arguably your number one defenseman. Um, So this is a—I know Ottawa's got games in hand, but this is going to be a really tough road. You're asking them to play a better defensive style, and yet you've taken out their minute-munching defenseman.
2: Right, yeah, and unfortunately, when you dig yourself into an early hole, there's no excuses. Mike, first impressions of Kaner's return to the NHL?
1: Well, he didn't get a hat-trick, Ryan, so it was all a failure. He, he, he sh- obviously, the hip injury or the surgery was a, a failure. Right. Now, you know what, I, I don't know what you expected. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Kane has done some interviews going into the game saying he still believes he can be one of the best players in the league. I sort of believe him, um, because what is Patrick Kane? He's an offensive dynamo. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy who plays a 200-foot game. So I think offensively, he's going to be there. He had three shots in an overtime loss to the Sharks. I know he was on the ice for a shorthanded goal against where he may or may not have been hard on the back check, yeah. but that's fine. Um, Red Wings did not get Patrick Kane to be a back-checking, selkie uh, finalist or anything like that. They got him because he puts up points. So him having three shots on net, looking all right on a line with Debrinkat and Joe Valeno. I'm happy.
2: Yeah, I was going to kind of joke that it's like they lost to the Sharks. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible, but I mean the Sharks have actually been much better recently. Um, not the worst team in all time, right? Not the worst, th- they will not be the worst team of all time. He won the Corsi battle on the night. It, you know, it was a positive, it was a positive offensive display. I think it was good that, you know, uh, just reading what Sam Stockton, our Detroit Red Wings team site editor, you know, he had an interview with Kane uh, and he talked to Dabrinkit as well. And they were saying, yeah, like, you know, that old chemistry, like we can feel it coming back already. Obviously, he's going to be rusty for a little bit. That's yeah. to be expected. But I think there were some positive signs. Uh, the fact that him and Dabrinkit already seemed to be on the same page, I think is great. The funny thing too is like Dylan Larkin playing on another line with Lucas Raymond, they look amazing. Mm-hmm. So now you get that sort of matchup question if you're an opponent of the Red Wings, where it's like, okay, well, we got to pick our poison. Is it the Larkin line? Is it DeBrinket and Kane? Uh, so that could obviously open up some lanes for DeBrinket and Kane if you know Larkin and Raymond continue to be so hot. Um, you know, having said that, yeah, it was just kind of okay. You know, I don't think we saw a lot of dynamism, but. Again, it's going to take some time, so nice for Red Wings fans to actually see the new guy in uniform. And the thing I like about
1: Detroit getting Kane, they're not getting Kane saying, we're not a playoff team right now, mm-hmm. and he's going to be the savior and right. get us into the playoffs. As we talk right now, Detroit's number three in a probably the our toughest division in hockey, I would mm-hmm. argue. Uh, they're just behind the Panthers, just behind the Bruins, so... You know, with or without Kane, Detroit looks like a playoff-ready team. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Game 1 also, Kane only played about 16 minutes and change. Mm -hmm. I expect that's probably going to increase as we go along here. Uh, He'll get closer to that 18-minute mark. So, you know, it was very much a Mm -hmm. get-his-feet-wet. Again, he doesn't have to come in here having to be the guy. He's yeah. just one of many guys.
2: Yeah, indeed. Speaking of ice time, uh, let's go to Columbus, where the kids have been pretty awesome, but they're not really getting the ice time to go with it. You know, you look at the Devils, Luke Hughes, Simone Nemitz, you know, playing a lot. But then you look at Columbus, you know, Adam Fantilli the other night, I think he played like 13 minutes. You know, you got... David Yerchuk, Kent Johnson has been great. You know, Igor Chinikov, who's a little bit older, uh, he had a three-point game the other night. But you're still seeing Johnny Gaudreau get the big minutes. Justin Danforth, I think, played like 23 minutes the other day. So what's going on in Columbus? Obviously, the Blue Jackets, they need points. But do they also need to kind of reorganize how they're deploying people?
1: It's funny, we, we keep having this kind of conversation. Uh, we had it with the Flyers, when John Tortorella wasn't playing uh, Morgan Frost mm-hmm. um, and he was sitting, you know, a lot of young guys out of lineup and I'm thinking to myself, hey, this is a rebuilding team. Don't you want to get your young guys up to speed and develop them the right way? And the argument, I think coming from you was, yeah, they, they want to be a winning team. This is how you accountability. Yeah, this is how you establish a winning culture. Yeah. So you could make that argument in Columbus, saying, you know what, Fantilli, you got to earn your ice time. David Juracek, you got to earn your ice time, and that's how Columbus is eventually going to be a competitive team. Why does it feel like, you know, Blue Jackets aren't getting the same benefit of the doubt that the it Flyers the, are?
2: It feels like the opposite. It feels like the veterans are given are have been given too much leeway. Like they
1: haven't been good enough and Goudreau just keeps getting rolled out there.
2: Exactly. Because yeah. Goudreau's having a terrible year by his standard. But what do you do if you're Columbus? Because, again, like I don't, you know, they're probably not going to be a playoff team. I mean, they're way down in the standings and they've played they? more games than anybody.
1: Should they have been a playoff team this year?
2: I mean, probably not. So I, I guess I wonder... Maybe a dark team, I guess. Yeah, like what are the goals of the Blue Jackets? And granted, I will give them... I'll, I'll cut them some slack because... They didn't think Pascal Vincent was going to be their head coach coming right. into the year. Obviously, the Mike Babcock uh, you know, scandal tainted a lot, and it forced their hand to make a really quick move. But I'm, just, I'm not really sure what the goal is, because if you're not a playoff team and you've got these awesome kids, why don't you just play them? Like, yeah. Unless you're just, I mean, you do have Goudreau long-term under contract, so maybe, you, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, we got to get him on track because we can't trade him and we need him to be one of our best forwards i don't know well
1: this looks a lot different if it's mike babcock kind of not playing the young kids right i think it's pascal vincent he doesn't have that track record Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are second guessing him in the same way we're not second guessing torts we're saying torts he this is what he does yeah Um, he did it in columbus um um, but yeah, yeah i'm with you um but at the same time you know, Patrick Liney was held out of the lineup. Uh, he hasn't been getting as much ice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get what you're saying with Goudreau. No one's really looked great in Columbus this year. Yeah. So you could make that argument, but you know, let's, let's just wait a bit. Um, Fantilli did have a goal last night. Yeah. Uh, Marchenko looked good again last night. Um, but then you look at their time on ice, and I think Fantilli didn't even have 14 minutes. So yeah. th- that argument can be made. I guess we're just not going to see Bedard Fantilli kind of race for the Calder. I think that's what it all means.
2: Maybe, but Fantilli, I mean, he's getting his points, so good on him. Uh, Another uh, first-year coach, Spencer Carberry in Washington, The doghouse is filling up fast. (laughs) We saw Evgeny Kuznetsov scratched before his 700th career game. Ouch. Yes. Now, he did get into that 700th game the next day. I thought it was pretty funny that they advertised it on Twitter. It's like, congratulations. It's like, (laughs) maybe, like, maybe get a little more low-key since it was supposed to be a couple of days prior. Uh, Sonny Milano as well. Obviously, Spencer Carberry is putting his stamp on this team. Uh, They've been excellent defensively. Mm -hmm. So... Is this a matter of him trying to establish a culture, again, of accountability for a team that they really can't take their foot off the gas because, you know, you talked about the Atlantic division being so tough. Yeah. The Metro is tough in a different way in that everybody is so bunched up that almost every team still has a legitimate shot at not only a playoff spot, but maybe even home ice advantage. Uh, but right now, I mean, the Caps—they they can't leak points. You can't fall behind.
1: No, I, I almost get the feeling like the Washington Capitals are that team where, like, they can almost smell blood with their head coach and be like, "Yeah, we can take advantage of this guy," mm-hmm. uh, almost like you know, a bunch of like elementary like a substitute school. teacher. Yeah. So when they have like a Barry Trotz, they're like, "Oh boy, we we really got to be on our game," and then. You know, they get an easier coach, and it's like a Boudreaux or something, and it's like, yeah, boy, it's just offense. Um, so with a guy like Kuznetsov, I've seen the best of Evgeny Kuznetsov. Yeah. Um, I at one time thought he was going to be like a legit top five player in the league, and he has the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. I guess similar to like a William Elander, you just don't always get it out of him. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe this is Spencer Carberry saying, you know what, I'm going to make an example of a guy who... You know, is not a rookie, not a fourth line player, and you know, hopefully this has um, this kind of reverberates throughout the lineup. So good on him.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think you know Spencer Carberry. It feels like he was pretty well respected coming into the season, uh, but you are the new guy, and you you got to sort of lay down the law. It's it's definitely that good cop bad cop thing going from assistant coach or associate coach to head coach. It's a different role, and I think Carberry is definitely finding his feet there.
1: Interesting. All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to go to Tampa. We've got Lightning Team Site Editor DeAndre Liu talking about Andre Vasilevsky, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, and whether this Lightning team still has enough in the tank to win another championship. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show. We go live to Tampa Bay, where we've got Lightning team site editor Deandra Lou joining us. How are you doing there, Deandra?
0: Hey guys, I'm doing good. Thanks so much for um, having me on.
1: Oh, it's our our pleasure. A beautiful Christmas tree in the background, and uh, you know, a beautiful start to the season for Nikita Kucherov, looking very much like the Hart Trophy winner of old. I was talking with Ryan before the break where Kucherov might rank uh, on the all-time list of Russians when his career is over. We know Alex Ovechkin is going to be number one on that list, but Kucherov, who told you that he's, you know, channeling his inner Ovi, where do you think he's going to rank uh, when all is said and done, Deandra?
0: Well, I think the incredible thing about Kucherov is, I mean, and when you look at this season um, compared to you know, 2018, 2019. Um, he's only getting better, which is is kind of incredible. So he, you know, he's got a lot of room to keep going. But um, the thing with Kucherov that I thought was uh, really interesting, I've actually, you know, I've been watching him since the Toronto series in the playoffs last year. And he is the only player on the team that just never took a break. He was back on the ice, I think, you know, two weeks after that uh, playoff series ended. So, he's kind of on a mission this year. And, you know, we asked him and this is when he said he was trying to be like Ovi, but, uh, you know, we asked him, he's leading the league and shots on goal. Is that intentional? And I thought it was really interesting when he, you know, he said that he's basically just trying to help out his team. So when he gets a chance to shoot, he shoots the puck. But, um, other than that, his mentality is, is not even about himself. It's just about, Uh, helping his team out. They definitely, you know, they need an extra boost this season. But as far as as he goes among the Russians in the league, and I heard a little bit of your conversation as well, but, uh, you know, he's going to be right up there. He'll be right up there with Ovechkin. And he is, I would say, and based off the season that we've seen so far, he's just going to continue to get better and better, which is pretty incredible to think about.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Another very important Russian for the Lightning, it's been Andre Vasilevsky, obviously. You know, a, a lot of people were terrified when he went down at the beginning of the year, but he is back now. Feels like it's been, you know, a bit of a process getting him back up to speed. And I, I suppose that's, that's pretty obvious that he was going to have some rust. But how do you think Vasi has been settling in at this point?
0: Yeah. So Vasilevsky, I think, you know, and sometimes we forget because I mean, he just had back surgery. It was a little over nine weeks ago. Um, And, you know, he had that first game in Carolina and really that is an adrenaline based game. You know, the guys were so happy to have him back. And obviously, you know, you have the awareness that he had back surgery, but you think he's back. That's it. Vassi's Vassi. And he actually told us the other day that it's been really difficult for him to come back. It's just when you think about one, you're recovering from back surgery you know, he did all of the rehabbing, but he also missed training camp. Um, you know, he missed the preseason. So he's kind of starting from scratch. And I thought that was really interesting to hear from him, talk about the road trip to Colorado and the high altitude and how it affected him. And then, you know, traveling, you have back surgery you're on a plane. Um, so all of that has, has been, you know, it's, it, there's a ramp up period. And, um, you know, I know against Dallas, the second time, not, not the first time when they lost. Um, but the second time he said he was starting to feel more like himself. So I think we're going to continue to see that, um, you know, the lightning have had just an up and down season overall, but Vasilevsky does bring a little bit of consistency to their game. And, you know, i give him a few more weeks. I would say, you know, after the first of the year, we'll probably start to see, you know, Vasilevsky in, in his true form.
1: Well, that's the thing with the Lightning, Ryan and DeAndre, is that you've got Vasilevsky, who's arguably still the number one goaltender in the NHL. You've got Kucherov, who's leading the league in points right now. You've got Hedman, still whatever you want to say about Makar and Quinn Hughes. Mm. Hedman's still one of the best defensemen in the league. Yep. That is really the recipe for a successful team. And I didn't even mention Stamkos or Braden Point or Anthony Sorelli yeah. or you know, a lot of other players here. Trying to get to the point here is, you know, the Lightning right now are fighting uh, amongst that kind of wild card race. But, you know, when we look at who might win a championship this year, um, it doesn't feel like the Lightning are going anywhere. It feels very much like this is still a team that come playoff time could be dangerous, even though they went out in the first round last year. Well, what are your impressions of where this Tampa Bay might be in sort of their, you know, where they are in their kind of lifespan?
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. It's been an interesting year, first of all, just to start off without Vasilevsky, you know, and he's out there on the ice. And then the next day we find out he's having back surgery, right? So that kind of threw a wrench into everything. But um, the salary cap has made it pretty difficult for the Lightning. However, they still have a lot of talent on their team, just like you said, I mean, they have the talent to do it. And when they're, they're good, they're really good. And you, you could watch them for two games and think, that's it, they're back. You know, they're making it to the playoffs. They're going to make a run. This is it. And December is usually that month where we uh, see the Lightning kind of pull ahead there with points and, you know, and get their footing. And, and this – season has just been tough for them to find consistency. So, you know, I asked Stamkos the other day and he always has such a great perspective on everything. He's so uh, mild-mannered, level-headed, you know, doesn't go one way or the other, you know, so he can give a really good logical answer and he said it's really for them they have a lot of new players right and they're building chemistry but it's about getting back to what they know works they changed their defensive system um this year and it's it's been a bumpy ride and when you think about the lightning when they were at their peak and they won the stanley cups they won through defense so they kind of got away from that Um, and i know that that's something that they're you know they've been trying to get back to and build consistency on and and then you have some players like not Kucherov, we'll exclude him from this conversation. But you know, Braden Point and Stamkos, you know, they're getting their shots in, but they are not getting them in the back of the net. They're they're going wide. They haven't been able to to capitalize on the power play. So things like that, you know, they are really reliant on the power play. So if that goes wrong, and five on five isn't strong, the Lightning kind of don't have anywhere to score. So uh, you know, it's been a really tough. It's been a tough up and down little roller coaster ride. But like I said. And you said, you know, I mean, I would never count them out, but this is definitely a really important month for them if they're going to build consistency. And, and, you know, when you lose 8-1 to one or the way that they lose, you know, it's a, it's a turnover that ends up in the back of the net and then it snowballs from there. So losing like that, it puts a dent on your confidence. And I know Stamkos, that's something that he was, you know, really trying to focus on is get the guys back and, and build their confidence and know that they have the talent to do it this year.
2: And let's end there on Stamkos, obviously, you know, uh, a lifelong member of the Bolts contract coming up. There's already been a lot of talk about it. At the end of the day, what do you see happening this summer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was there, obviously, when Stamkos, you know, kind of told everybody what was going on. And, and I I was Definitely thrown off by that. I had heard that they would have something figured out in the off season, and I kind of just assumed that they were working it out and it was going to come by, you know, opening night. So I uh, was a little thrown off by that, and that kind of opened my eyes to where the Lightning are at, you know, from a salary cap standpoint and what they're looking at. And you look at this season, and you can see that you know they got some holes. They have to figure it out, and so I, I do understand that site now. I. That said, I could never, uh, imagine Steven Stamkos in a different Jersey other than a lightning Jersey. I know he really wants to stay. That's what he wants. And, um, I think that in the end, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a little, a little bumpy season here, uh, with Stamkos contract. That's all anyone is ever talking about. And I hear it in the press box and everything. So I think in the end, you know, he'll come out of it and, and he'll get that extension.
2: Excellent. Well, thanks so much for this, Deandra, our Tampa Bay Lightning team site editor. We're going to head out west now for this segment. The Los Angeles Kings set an NHL record with 11 straight road wins to open this season. Mike, I put this question to you. When will they lose? Because this is a really hot team right now.
1: Yeah. uh, L.A. obviously hasn't lost on the road. Granted, they just came out of uh, Columbus and Montreal, so two of the worst teams. Not exactly a gauntlet. No, but now they go into New York, they got the Islanders on Saturday night tonight, and then they've got the Rangers. So, you know, if they come out of this New York road trip still undefeated, then yeah, this for me is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I don't
2: know how you feel about it. I was already feeling like when you look at the Kings and how strong they are down the middle is something we've talked about on the show before, they were a team primed for playoff success because the matchups mm. would just be so difficult. And I think part of that is why they've had so much success on the road so far is, okay, you don't have last change on the road, but who cares? Yes. If, if we can't get Kopitar out there, we get Dano out there. Or we get Dubois out there down the middle. So their center strength, it feels so great uh, for them. And it just feels like, you know, I, I talked to Quentin Byfield a couple of weeks ago and he was saying everybody is pulling their weight. They have faith in both goaltenders. just feels like it's it's sunny in L.A. What a surprise.
1: Yeah, and if you don't want to match up against Kopitar, you don't want to match up against Daniel, hey, well, guess what? You might get Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. That, that probably does tell us a lot about why they're so successful on the road. The other thing to keep in mind is last year's Stanley Cup winner, the Vegas Golden Knights, mm-hmm. I believe they, they had a league low seven losses on the road so Mm -hmm. there is something to be said about this
2: road warriors well speaking of the playoff picture out west one team that's been uh, a pleasant surprise the arizona coyotes right now they have the number one wild card spot and uh hey they might play vegas or la in the first round and if they do we would see playoff games at mullet arena that might be a little odd. I don't know how the NHL would feel about it because obviously capacity is only around 5,600. I don't know how I feel. In, in one sense, it would be a really cool environment. On the other hand, what's it gonna look like on TV?
1: Yeah, you know what? Playoffs are great because you always get a full arena. Mm. That's not gonna be an issue here. No. <laughs> if you can't sell up 5,000 <laughs> seats, then you've got issues. Uh, that being said, I, I don't know if this is going to be a great look for the NHL. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I think it's a fun novelty having them play in Mullet Arena. Does it look good on TV though? To you know, when the camera pans out and you're like, "Wow, that is a tiny rink." Mm-hmm. This is the NHL I'm watching again. This isn't some major junior team. Yeah. So my,
2: my concern too is like, what if the Arizona Coyotes go on a Florida Panthers-esque run in the playoffs? How are you going to fit all the media in? For a conference final, a Stanley Cup final, where are you going to put all those people?
1: Yeah, That's a really good question. Um, I think when they went to Mullet Arena, the idea was that this was going to be some pretty weak Coyotes team. Sure. So they weren't even going to be thinking playoffs. They're like, don't worry about
2: it. It is funny, though, because
1: you've got Clayton Keller, who's having a real quiet year year in the sense that no one's really talking about him. Sure. But he's basically a point-per-game guy. Mm -hmm. You've got Logan Cooley there. um, But really, it's been about the goaltenders. Mm -hmm. Uh, Connor Ingram looks like he's going to be the real deal and you mentioned hey if the LA Kings have to play the Coyotes fine The Coyotes aren't going to be able to match up against those centers that the Kings have but in a goalie battle I don't want to be playing Connor Ringham the way he's been playing right now
2: yeah fair enough now we know the Chicago Blackhawks are not going to make the playoffs barring some sort of miracle but Connor Bedard has certainly lived up to expectations on pace for 36 goals, 68 points, that'd be the highest production from a player going straight from the draft to the NHL since Austin Matthews, who had 40 goals, 69 points. So, it's early, but where do we place Connor Bedard in terms of number one picks? Because you gotta remember, Jack Hughes, he had a really rough first year. Same oh, with yeah. Alexi Lafreniere, Uriah Slavkovsky had a dreadful first year that was punctuated by a season-ending injury. Um, we haven't really seen big totals like that since Austin Matthews.
1: No, it's funny. Like you mentioned, like it's been kind of a, I don't want to say a weak run of number one picks because you look at Jack Hughes and you're going, he's far and away removed that kind of label, I'm a number one overall buster or anything. Right, right. But it was very much looking that way in year one because he just looks so overwhelmed. Uh-huh. He's kind of a tiny player. So it really kind of underscores how difficult it is to go right from the draft floor to the NHL and make a huge impact. Like even the guys who've been putting up points, maybe not as number one picks, but as Calder winners like mm-hmm. Matty Beniers or uh, Elias Pettersson or even a, a Matt Barzell, they didn't come right away. Mm-hmm. Um, in Barzell's case, I believe he played another two years in junior, Pedersen stayed over in Sweden one more year, uh, Matty Beniers played just at the tail end uh, as a rookie and then last year for Seattle, uh, played a full season. So. You know, give a lot of credit to Connor Bedard. It's been kind of a difficult season, obviously, with Chicago. Not only what's what's happening on the ice, but off the ice with Corey Perry, mm-hmm. uh, now no longer on the team, Taylor Hall going down with an injury. It's very much, if you're matching up against the Blackhawks, you're matching up just against Bedard, mm-hmm. and yet he's still putting up points. And, you know, he very well could pass Matthews for production as a rookie. So, you yeah, very much looking like, you know, he belongs in that kind of generational talent.
2: Yeah. And worth noting, too, you know, we talk a bit sometimes about, you know, the late birthday cutoff for mm. the draft. Austin Matthews is a late birthday, so, right. you know, he played two years at the NTDP with USA Hockey. Then he went to Switzerland for his draft year. Playing against men. Playing against men. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that was a little bit of a buffer. Jack Hughes was interesting because he was the first player ever to go straight from the NTDP to the NHL. Usually you would play at least one year of college. Uh, or, you know, in the case of Patrick Kane, he went to play in the OHL. So different routes, uh, but obviously, you know, different levels of difficulty as well. So what Connor Bedard is doing, obviously very impressive compared to those guys.
1: I remember talking to Paul Marner, Mitch Marner's dad, uh, after Mitch's rookie season for the book and uh, that I wrote. And he was even making that argument saying, well, Matthews isn't a true rookie because he's played against men. Right. He goes, Mitch, actually, this is his first rookie year because Mm -hmm. he went from junior as an amateur, basically, to the NHL. So, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, whether it's Pedersen staying in the, what is it, the SHL? Yep. uh, Or even Matthews playing in Switzerland, which is a very tough league. It is. Let's not kind of say like, hey, he went over to Switzerland and, you know, he was able to dominate. Like, that was a tough go for him.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're getting kind of the best pros. You you get a lot of good North American pros going to Switzerland because it's kind of the ideal lifestyle. You Mm. barely have any overnights, you know, after most games, even on the road, they're only two, three hours away. So you sleep in your own bed, you're living in Switzerland, which is gorgeous, (laughs) and you're getting paid and you're playing high level hockey. So that's why you see, you know, not only obviously Swiss born players, but other players from Europe, other players from North America go over and join that league so and you know Mark Crawford was his coach so you're getting some pretty good coaching at the time as well so there you go. Ryan you know what time it is. It's rapid fire time. All right, producer Connor hit us up with some questions.
3: I'm starting off cheating I'm not taking one of my questions I'm taking a question from our Nashville site editor she asked Austin Watson's late game shot that resulted in a $5,000 fine was it dumb or was it dirty?
2: I'm gonna go with Dirty because with the benefit of instant replay and slow motion and watching a bunch of times, it felt like his head was up enough that he saw Jeremy Lowe's on there. And it really reminded me of, in the Stanley Cup years ago, Ottawa's Daniel Alfredson unloads on Scott Niedermeyer of the New Jersey Devils with a slap shot at center ice. The Senators knew they were losing that series, it was done by that time. And it just felt like, you know, I'm going to get one more shot in on this guy because I'm upset that we're losing. Obviously, Austin Watson, his team was losing as well. I I do feel it was just sort of an unfortunate move by him and obviously completely unnecessary. Austin Watson has one goal this year,
1: one goal, Ryan. Um, Mm. This is not Daniel Alfredson aiming and being able to hit a shin pad from 60 feet away. He wasn't that far, though. I don't think Austin Watson uh, purposely hit uh, Jeremy Lozon. I think he was just frustrated trying to hammer that puck, possibly on net. Lozon, unfortunately, was in the way. Dumb move by a guy who probably should have known better, though.
3: You are not giving enough credit to a professional hockey player. (laughs) Robert Bertuzzo was traded to the Islanders for a seventh-round pick. Good trade or bad trade? I
2: like it. You know, the Islanders, you know, we talked about it on the show. The Metro division is just so condensed right now that most teams are still in it. And, you know, the Islanders, they have guys, you know, you talk about Lou Lamorello's orchestra, you know, guys to fit different roles. Robert Bortuzzo has a ton of experience. He's got Stanley Cup experience. He's a big body, uh, kind of a no-nonsense guy. And, you know, he wasn't, playing in St. Louis, you know, mostly a healthy scratch, so for a seventh rounder, why not?
1: Yeah, in Lou's orchestra, Bertuzzo is the guy playing a tuba. Right. right? This is in the, he didn't just get a first violin here. Yeah. Um, you're right. He, he had been a healthy scratch. You know, the Islanders are without Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick, and Sebastian Aho. They need a body. More importantly, they need a big body. Bertuzzo is that guy. I think this is a perfect fit. Mm.
3: I think we forgot to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, but the All-Star Weekend is finally bringing back the player draft. Is this a good idea?
2: I think it's a great idea. Uh, It was fun watching the players interact with each other back in the day when they did it the first time. And my only concern is that we know that obviously NHL players, they have egos, they have feelings. Uh, You know, they don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, no one
1: wants to be picked last right.
2: No one wants to be picked last. I, it also reminds me, you know, years ago I remember when they were setting up the skills competition, I remember talking to somebody at the NHL that said nobody wants to go in fast a skater because they know they'll lose to Connor McDavid. So they were actually having trouble finding guys to compete in the skills competition. I think they kind of had to like volunteer them that they were going <laughs> into it back then. And, um, you know, when it comes to this, yeah, there's going to be guys that are picked last, but I have a feeling they're going to soft sell it. Like, I have a feeling it's going to be like, okay, these were the final four, and we're not going to know the order in which the final four were picked, which, you know, kind of takes, it takes the sting out of it, but it also kind of takes some of the fun out of it, because, I mean, Phil Kessel became a legend, right? and part of it was after... That All-Star, a lot of it was after that All-Star draft where he was picked last.
1: A lot of players, and I was at that All-Star game, a lot of players gained a lot of respect for Phil. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they even said, you know, based on what he'd been dealing with in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, it was a tough go for him. And then to handle it how he did, like I said, a lot of players gained a newfound respect for him. I think a lot of fans did as well. Who do you think is going to go last in this thing? Is it going to be a Toronto kid? The draft is in Toronto. I think it'd be hilarious if it's a guy like Austin Matthews and see him kind of laugh it off because, you know, arguably, he's one of the best players in the league. So I like it. Adds a little bit of juice to festivities that, you know, can get a bit stale sometimes. So yeah, you
2: need some buzzy stuff to, to gin up the proceedings. Got to do something. Yeah.
3: Reports are starting to come out that Jesse puglia is getting close to a return from hip surgery. Do we see him again in the NHL? I
2: definitely think we see him. I mean, this is a player that, you know, under the hood, his defensive metrics were always pretty good, uh, especially when he played for the Oilers. He never really found his range as a scorer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're picked as high as he was, obviously, there's a lot of hype and expectation that goes with that. But if you think about pooley now, if he's making kind of like league minimum or like even like a million dollars, and he's in your bottom six, and he's just using that big body and using that enthusiasm. I don't see why not. No, and and you know what? I I still think Poyarvi
1: is going to be a player uh, one of these days. He's going to find sort of where he fits in. You know, I covered him that time. I think you did as well at the World Juniors where he was on a line with Patrick Laine and Sebastian Ajo. Poyarvi looked great in that role. Um, Very much a two-way player. I think at the time you talked to scouts, they said this guy's going to be the next Marion Hosa. Mm. Jokingly we always say that, you know, they got the wrong Hosa. It was Marcel, but you know, he's twenty five years old, six foot four. There's gonna be a spot for a guy that big, that young, and who can skate the way he does.
2: Yeah. And again, I mean if it's on a, you know, a reasonable contract, like maybe a show me kind of contract where he can prove himself that he's back at top health and he can contribute, then it's like getting a free asset.
1: Totally.
3: I think that's all I've got for rapid fire this week. So. All right.
1: Well, that's all the time we've got for this week's show. Thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. This was the Hockey News pregame show. I'm going to see you next time at the rink.